Hello and welcome to episode 674 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my pleasure to be with you this evening. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on the first Friday of the month. For more information about First Friday Devotion, head on over to the Fatima Center's website at fatima.org. It is October the 6th, 2023, the Feast of St. Bruno. St. Bruno, pray for us. And let us turn now to the Friday prayer to the Most Blessed Virgin Mary to obtain love towards her and Jesus Christ by the great saint and doctor of the church, Alphonsus Liguri. O Mary, I already know that thou art the most noble, the most sublime, the most pure, the most beautiful, the most benign, the most holy, in a word, the most amiable of all creatures. O that all knew thee, my lady, and loved thee as thou dost merit. But I am consoled when I remember that in heaven and on earth there are so many happy souls who live enamored of thy goodness and beauty. Above all, I rejoice that God himself loves thee alone more than he loves all men and angels together. My most amiable queen, I, a miserable sinner, love thee also, but I love thee too little. I desire a greater and more tender love towards thee. And this thou must obtain for me, since to love thee is a great mark of predestination and a grace which God only grants to those whom he will save. I see also, my mother, that I am indeed under great obligations to thy son. I see that he merits infinite love. Thou, who desirest nothing else but to see him loved, hast to obtain me this grace above all others. Obtain me great love for Jesus Christ. Thou obtainest all that thou willest from God. Ah, then be graciously pleased to obtain me the grace to be so united to the divine will that I may never more be separated from it. I do not ask of thee earthly goods, honors, or riches. I ask thee for that which thy heart desires most for me. I wish to love my God. Is it possible that thou refusest to second this my desire, which is so pleasing to thee? Ah, no, thou already helpest me. Already thou prayest for me. Pray, pray, and cease not to pray until thou seest me safe in heaven, beyond the possibility of evermore losing my Lord, and certain to love him forever, together with thee, my dearest mother. Today, friends, we are going to continue to look at the Fatima Center's publication entitled The Fatima Crusader. This is from issue 131, the fall 2023 edition entitled Exposed, Errors of the 2023 Synod. And this article is by Father Albert Callio, K-A-L-L-I-O-O-P. And it's entitled The Error of Synodality. Father Albert begins by saying, Pope Francis likes to speak of the God of surprises. He himself could well be named the Pope of surprises. One just never knows what he will come up with next. His latest and perhaps gravest surprise with which he seems to want to crown his consistently scandalous pontificate has been the Synod on Synodality, which will be in session this October. The culmination of this three-year-long process of listening and dialogue promises indeed to be full of surprises, including dialogue on abolishing celibacy, introducing women deaconesses as a prelude to women priests, and who knows what else. After all, if we knew, how could it be a surprise? To find our bearings amidst this madness, we have to get to the root of the problem. What went wrong? How have we ended up here? Let us focus on the fundamental problem the issue of authority. Understanding authority. Theologians teach that authority is the formal cause of a society. That is to say, 
Authority makes a society be what it is. Authority is the very essence of society. So when Pope Francis starts toying with authority in the society, which is the church, and tries to take it away from the pope and give it to the bishops, and as we shall see, to then take it from the bishops and give it to everyone in the church, he is touching the very heart of the church, its very essence. This change is extremely grave. It truly is the culmination of all the evil he has done. However, Francis is not the first to have started toying with the Pope's authority to teach and govern in the church. His synod on synodality is simply the logical extension of the revolution that began at the Second Vatican Council 60 years ago. Yet revolutions, like wildfires, have a way of running out of control and destroying their originators. In the French Revolution, the Nouvelle Bourgeoisie wanted to take power away from the king for themselves. Yet they were then overtaken by the rabble who took authority away from them. Nearly every major leader lost his head in the aftermath. But all the revolutionaries were themselves led, no doubt, by another who prefers to keep his identity hidden. That first revolutionary, the adversary of God and man, has used the pride and folly of men to echo his futile rebellious cry, Non serviam, I will not serve. It is similar in the church today. The bishops who took power for themselves at Vatican II by collegiality are now being overtaken by synodality, which ultimately feigns to give power to everyone. The problem started at the council, so let us look back at what happened there on this key point of authority. Collegiality at Vatican II. First of all, what exactly is this notion of collegiality which triumphed at the council? It is the assertion that the college of bishops, that is, all the bishops in the world, share authority over the whole church with the Pope. At first hearing, this may not sound like any great or insidious challenge to the authority of the Pope, but in fact, it was probably the most dangerous heresy promoted by the council. In essence, it was merely a new twist on the age-old motif of denying the authority of the Pope. What took insidious to a new level was the council document Lumen Gentium, which proclaimed this error to be the doctrine of the church, in spite of the fact that the contrary had been solemnly defined at the First Vatican Council. Pastor Iternus, Vatican I's dogmatic constitution on the church, taught that the Pope himself has the total plenitude of the supreme power in the church. How then could Vatican II contradict this by claiming that the bishop shared this power with him as collegiality pretends? That is a good question, and the answer to it would involve a long historical treatise. In summary, we can simply say that Vatican II conceded, of course, as Vatican I had declared, that the Pope has the supreme authority in the Church. However, it was added that the College of Bishops also has that power together with him. As an argument for their position, the collegialists pointed to the 20 ecumenical councils in the history of the Church. They argued that the bishops decided various grave questions of doctrine and discipline together with the Pope, even adding their signatures alongside that of the Pope to the documents which promulgated the decisions of the councils. The answer to that argument was given over and over by the traditional bishops and theologians at the council, 
In each of those historical councils, the Pope granted a share of his power to the bishops who, as the legitimate authorities in their various dioceses, already did have a real authority in the church. Thus, it was entirely fitting that they be asked to come together with the Pope to solve important questions, which involved the whole church. This is the only way to reconcile what Vatican I defined about the Pope's universal power and the reality of these ecumenical councils. If one says, as Vatican II does, that the bishops share in, the, in this power by the very fact of being bishops and not by receiving it from the Pope, then how can one maintain that the Pope has the total plenitude of the supreme power in the church as Vatican I dogmatically defines? An inherent power? If, as the Second Vatican Council declared, the bishops, by the very fact of being bishops, share with the Pope his authority over the whole church, it follows logically that they must have the inalienable right to exercise this authority. In other words, if this authority is truly theirs by inherent right, they cannot be forbidden to exercise it. Not even the Pope could put limits on their right to rule alongside him. The fact that in the history of the Church, the Popes did limit the ruling authority of bishops, sometimes for hundreds of years, did not seem to bother the collegialists even though it would mean that all the popes during that time had been acting unjustly against the bishops and even contrary to the very constitution of the church. Bishops' synods, a novel institution now ubiquitous. Historically speaking, synodality is a consequence of this new doctrine of collegiality which appeared at the council. The first synod of bishops was convened by Pope Paul VI in 1967, just two years after the conclusion of the council. The Pope had codified this new ecclesial institution via a motu proprio in September 1965, even before the council ended. Later, John Paul II incorporated it into the new code of canon law in 1983, canons 342 through 348. It is true that in this new law itself, the Synod of Bishops was not, strictly speaking, presented as an organ of collegiality because it had only a consultative and advisory function and was to be convened only by order of the Pope himself whenever he would choose to do so. However, in practice, general synods have been convened at least every three years, and especially under Pope Francis, they have taken on the appearance of a necessary part of the functioning of the church. This is a classic tactic familiar to all students of revolution. A benignly phrased law itself simply opens a door without seeming to impose a radical change. But the radical change inevitably follows. Stripping the bishops of their true authority. Also, in typically revolutionary fashion, this apparent sharing of responsibility in reality becomes a very efficacious means of concentrating the real power in the hands of those who manipulate the structure. In previous synods, Pope Francis has shown how this works, and we can expect the same in the ones that will follow. In fact, this seeming sharing of power with everyone is a way of taking away from the bishops the power that they should have and always have had in the governing of the church. This already began happening immediately after the council with regard to the bishop's power in his own diocese, which was undermined on the one hand by the Episcopal conferences inevitably controlled by liberal influences, and, on the other hand, 
by the democratic bodies set up in the diocese to, quote, help a bishop govern it. Now even the power that bishops really do have over the whole church, when the Pope shares it with them in a council, is being usurped by synods, which will no longer be composed only of bishops, but by a large contingent of laymen, or rather laypersons, both men and women in, of course, equal proportions, chosen by the Pope. It is only justice, in a way, a punishment for their usurpation of power over the whole church at Vatican II. The real power of bishops is now taken away, according to the adage, the revolution always eats her children. A new doctrine, undermining every true doctrine. Another familiar adage states, a small error in the beginning becomes a large error in the end. This is, in fact, just common sense. If your compass is just one degree off, you will fall further off course the further you go. The error of collegiality at Vatican II could seem like a small error, but we see now in its consequences that it was not small at all. One cannot tamper with the Constitution that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to his church without grave consequences. Writing the Course The only way to get back on the right road is to go back to where we left it. The errors of Vatican II, especially on this crucial point of authority, must be corrected if we are to avoid their inevitable consequences. The only way to stop synodality is to condemn collegiality and return to the traditional doctrine of papal supremacy as as defined by the First Vatican Council. As Our Lady of Fatima told us, we must pray for the Pope, and not just the particular person who is the Pope, but the Pope as such. Only the Pope a Pope who really acts as Pope instead of destroying the papacy as Pope Francis is doing can put things back in order now. Father Albert Calio, OP, is a traditional Dominican priest. Originally from Canada, Father Calio studied in Italy and France and was ordained in 1994. Since then, he has traveled around the world, preaching and teaching as well as writing for several publications. Since late 2013, he has been the superior of the traditional Dominicans in Steffeshausen, Belgium. Many thanks to Father Albert for writing that excellent article. Please continue to pray for Pope Francis, for the bishops, for the priests, for everyone in the church. May we all repent and believe in the gospel. And please pray that the church gets back on course. We know that the Holy Spirit is always at work. And despite the evil that men and women do, God is going to have his way. We know in the end, the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary triumphs. And she's right right beside the Sacred Heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. And with them, the Most Chaste Heart of St. Joseph. Three hearts of Jesus Mary and Joseph, pray for us. Let us conclude, my friends, by once again mentioning Helping Autism Through Learning and Outreach, available on the web at halo-soma.org. That's halo-soma.org. Also, please tune into episodes 277 and 548 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. For more information about RPM, RPM is an acronym for Rapid Prompting Method, a system of communication for non-speakers. Before my niece was eight, we didn't even know her favorite color. She's a non-speaker. Now, because of RPM, we know that she's a comprehensive genius.
She's very skilled in regards to mathematics, wonderful poet, a composer of music, beautiful music. She even knows foreign languages. We would have known none of that were it not for RPM. And just imagine for a moment how frustrated and depressed you would be if you were unable to tell your family what you wanted for breakfast, let alone what your hopes and dreams are. That is the situation for so many people in this world who don't have access to communication. RPM gets them out of that prison of silence and into the world of communication where they belong because communication is a human right. So please spread the website, spread those episodes of Our Ladies podcast far and wide because if you don't know a non-speaker, you probably will at some point in the future. Thank you so much for listening to the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. Please tune in again tomorrow. Goodbye and God love you.